Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. So you do know, I, I think you know, and if you don't know yet, you will know that uh, we at College Church work hard at being a community of faith with emphasis on community. I mean, we don't believe we're supposed to be simply persons of faith. No, we're supposed to be people, a people of faith, a community of faith. Does that make sense? With emphasis on community, we work hard at being a community of faith. And I want to take a few minutes this morning, a few minutes to explain a little bit how we do that. To start, we begin by doing our best to make sure that everyone who comes to college church feels welcome. Old, young, rich, poor, all races, all nationalities, believers, mature and young, those who are exploring their faith, college folk, community folk, Single, married, those with children, those without, bikers, non-bikers, Cubs fans, Cards fans, White Sox fans. Isn't that a miracle that Cubs and Cards fans can worship together on a Sunday morning? That's just amazing. And the reason we do that is not for strategy's sake. No, the reason we work hard at welcoming Everyone is because God is welcoming. Jesus is welcoming. Right? It's not a strategy, it's a character. Um, Because of that, because God was so welcoming, so inviting, hospitality was one of the distinguishing marks of the first Christians. Christians, contrary to the rest of the pagan world, Christians were friendly. As we read last week in Romans 12, 13, Paul instructed Christians in Rome to practice hospitality. That's the NIV translation, but the literal meaning is welcome the stranger into your home, is what the Apostle Paul told those Christians in Rome. The Greek word there is philoxenia, philoxenia, love of the stranger, philoxenia, in contrast to xenophobia, which is fear of the stranger. Because of our Lord's love for the strangers. So Christians are to love strangers. Indeed, there's an entire book of the Bible whose sole subject is the duty of hospitality. Going, okay, what book of the Bible is all about hospitality? Granted, it's a short book. It's only 219 words, like 16 verses, 14 verses. It's 3 John. But still... It's a letter written to commend Gaius for his faithfulness to the Lord expressed in his hospitality to strangers. Dear friends, John writes, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name, that is the name of Jesus, that they went out receiving no help from the pagans We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Hospitable because God is. So we work hard at being a community of faith by, first of all, making sure that everyone who comes to college church feels welcome. Thus, the commons built for the sake of greater fellowship and hospitality. We wanted people to just have a place to hang out, and we would love it if you went out there and just hung out. 
Thus the meet and greet. And yes, I know that not everyone appreciates the meet and greet. But in the, in, and in the more liturgical churches, it's called the passing of the peace. Peace be with you. Some of us know that. And yes, we had to quit doing it for a while because of COVID, but it is an integral part of our worship service. It's not an interruption. It, it is not an interruption of our worship. It is integral to our worship because worship is not only about my relationship with Jesus. Worship is about my relationship with others. Again, if Romans 12 is any indication, worship is as much about my relationship to others as it is about my relationship to God. The chapter that began, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul began talking about worship, but then in the rest of that chapter, he mostly talked about how we are to be with each other, and he hardly mentioned formal worship at all. So the meet and greet is not an interruption of our worship service. It is essential to it. And as best I can tell, most of you embrace it. Um, sometimes on some Sundays, you're enjoying it so much, it's hard to get back to the worship service. You're worshiping so well in that moment. We do that for hospitality's sake because our Lord is hospitable. Thus, donuts and cinnamon rolls and coffee on Sunday morning. I was hoping I'd get an amen there. I thought I might get an amen to that one. There we go. Thank you. Thus, Sunday brunch in the commons. So it may not be all you need to eat, but you should go out and have all of these. We have continental breakfast on the church for you today. Thus, the cafe. We serve free coffee all week. And those who host the cafe bring in homemade baked goods. Not helpful to those who are in the church all week long. Monday through Friday, 8 to 3, as a gift to Olivet College students. They can come in and hang out and drink coffee. And that's not a little financial commitment on the part of College Church, but that's how much we believe in our ministry to college students and our understanding that the church is to be hospitable. Thus, the words of not only the songs, but the words of scriptures on the screen. So that those who may not be very familiar with the Bible don't have to hunt. Thus, the glass in every door to every office. No secrets. Thus, my open door to my office. If you walk back to my office, most days my door is wide open. Thus, no dress code. And by that I mean you don't have to dress up even if the preacher does. I think I might be the only one who wears a suit. Has anybody else got a suit on today? Anybody? We got a couple. Wait, one, two. Let's count the suits. Let's count the suits. I want to see how to count them. One, <laughs> two, three. Anybody else? Anybody over there? Nobody over there. Anybody on the platform? Nobody on the... I think there's like four of us wearing a suit today, right? All right. Do you know why I wear a suit? Uh, I don't know why the others wear a suit. I'm going to tell you why I wear a suit. I want to make it clear, and I, I want to be clear, this is personal conviction. No one, needs to know, no one needs to own this. You can wear what you like. But you should know that I didn't always wear a suit when I preached. I think I always wore a jacket, but sometimes it was a sport jacket. And, uh, but I didn't always wear a suit. But I was watching ESPN one day, several years ago now, and I happened to notice that every sportscaster or commentator wore a suit. The women commentators were always dressed up very nicely, and just 
in case you're not sure, there's, there's the commentators for NCAA football. They're all got, except for one guy in the corner. He's the only one that doesn't have a suit on, but the rest of them have suits on. And when I noticed that sports commentators wore suits, I thought, you know what? If sports warranted dressing up for it, then maybe church did too. Now, for the record, I'm not dissing on sports. I watch PGA, love watching golf, believe it or not. Watch the football playoffs, baseball playoffs. I watched the highlight reel of Detroit Lions beating Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday. There we go. Handing them their first week one loss in 10 years. Go Detroit. And I know, for example, that the St. Louis Cardinals are in last place in the National League Central. Sorry, Scott. And when Debbie and I go to Texas to visit our four grandsons, we're going to baseball, football, soccer, and basketball games without end. That's what we do. We just go to these games and watch our grandkids play 13, 10, 8, and 6 are their ages, and they're playing them all. I mean, if football is a rival religion anywhere, it's in Texas. <laughs> Last fall, we went to a Thursday night junior high game. And it was Friday night lights. I thought I was at an NCAA game. They charged us 10 bucks each to get in. The, the lights were lit. I mean, it was like, these are junior hires. So I'm not dissing on sports, but I thought if sports warrants commentators dressing up, then maybe I can too. That's a personal conviction. No one has to agree with it. So this isn't because I'm uptight or legalistic or being traditional for tradition's sake, or because I'm pastor college church. I mean, I would wear this every Sunday because of that, no matter what church I was in. This is because I personally don't think sports ought to get more due than my God. So this is social commentary, and nobody even knew that until today. No one else has to own it. It is come as you are around here. You don't have to dress up even if the preacher does. And so because we work hard at being a community of faith, the first thing we do at College Church is create an environment as best we can that is as hospitable as possible. And then, as some of you know, we try to make it as hard as it can be for visitors to remain strangers. Now, you can if you want to. I mean, you can. You can attend College Church, never do more than attend, and never get to know anyone else. You can remain anonymous. And that is some folks' preference, which we honor. There's all kinds of reasons for that. And believe me, we're glad for everyone who attends this worship service. And we're glad for those who worship online, who never are in the building. We have people who worship online from other states. We have about 100 folk who worship online every Sunday. I would love it if they would let me know who they are. Some of them are anonymous. We don't even know them. But do I dare give my phone number so they could text me? Should I do this? Okay, all of you folks wash, worshiping online, here is my phone number. Ready? Give you a minute to get a pencil, piece of paper. I want you to text me and tell me you're coming to church here. I'd love it. I'd love it. Ready? Oh, some of you are writing my number down. <laughs> my phone is going to just explode, isn't it, in just a minute. 618, area code of Southern Illinois, because we didn't feel like changing it. 618-578-8610. 618-578-8610. All of those who are worshiping online, start texting me. I will not out you. I will not call out your name. I would just love to see. Boom, boom, boom. Wow, I got one already. 618-578-8610. Text me if you're worshiping online. We're glad for those who worship online, even if they never are able to be in this building. 
And I, I mean, I know some who, hello, Bradfords, hello, Schrefflers, right? Bontragers are home today watching online with little Eliza. So I know, I know some. But we do everything we can to make sure that all are also welcome to become as involved in the life of this community as they are able to be. Thus the Connect Cards. This is really distracting. My phone is just vibrating to no end. <laughs> as is my Apple Watch. I mean, it's just... Keep doing it. It'll keep me awake. All right. Thus Connect Cards. You never have to fill one out. But if you do, we'll try our best to come to know you. We'd love it if college students would fill out a Connect card and give us their address. We want you to know that we want you to be a part of this place as much as anybody else is. And it really is a very respectful way to allow folks to make their way into the life of the church when they're ready. Some people don't fill out a Connect card for a long time because they're just not sure. They've been hurt by a church or they're still trying to figure it out. So it really is a respectful way. And we go through a lot of cards every week. Every comment is read. Every prayer request is prayed for. Would you fill out a Connect card this morning? We want to know your name and address and email addresses. But it's all voluntarily given. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But we want to know you. Thus, the inviting of everyone to just about everything. Like Sunday school. We still do Sunday school. Frankly, if you want to become more part of this particular community of faith, the best place to start is Sunday school. Make it as easy as possible. It's on Sunday. You're already coming. Just come a little earlier. And, and it's, so it's like a nominal increase commitment. And there are f- fewer people in the room, but not so few that you would like stand out. And we have four adult classes, all intergenerational. And I promise you, I can speak for every single one of them. Everyone in every class would welcome you to be a part of it. And it might be hard to start. Maybe it's hard to go the first Sunday. But after the first Sunday, it gets easier. And then you can begin to know better some of the folk who attend. Thus, these LCC groups. What's that? Life-changing community groups. You, we have been providing you an opportunity to become a part of a smaller discipleship group. And we, in those LCC groups, we're accommodating all kinds of schedules. And we have many who lead. Jen Johnson leads one. And Ben and Susan Brettenfeld lead one on Sunday night. And Audrey Kenyon leads one. And Jordan and Leslie Roskowski are going to be leading one. And Angela Alvarado is going to be leading one. And Brad Brackett leads one. And we have a couple other folks who are thinking about leading one. And then we have other kinds of groups. George Wolf wants to do a book study Wednesday mornings on Zoom from 6.45 to about 7.15 or 7.30. For all of those who would love to be a part of a community but just can't due to financial commitments, and you can be on your way to work if you commute, right? And uh, so that's beginning not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, the 20th. If you want, want to be... And so the reason for the waiting on the Connect Card is write on a Connect Card if you want to be a part of one of these. Zach and Jackie Tamez and Joel and Emily Heald lead small group Bible studies, right? Thus, taste of ministry, like I said already. Incentivizing you with food to volunteer for ministry. No secret to that strategy. It's obvious. Thus, potlucks. And somebody discovered this last week that the reason we can do potlucks is because we have these warmers and you can bring your food at 845 and it'll be in a warmer so it's not getting cold and then you go to Sunday school and then stay for church and then come and eat hot food at noon. So uh, potlucks in the, in the CLC and Wednesday Reconnect that I lead right back here. We're 
wrestling with the prayers of the people of the Old Testament. And that's a lot of fun on Wednesday night. If you want to connect with your pastor, come on Wednesday night. Then Wesley Sell on Sunday and writing group and mission trips and serve days like this Saturday. And then just fun. Christians ought to just be, just hang out with each other every now and then just for fun. Heaven will not have a mission. Heaven will be fellowship and, and with the Lord. And so we ought to anticipate heaven by playing here every now and then. And thus membership. We ask people to join. We ask people, believe it or not, to make a formal commitment to college church, to say out loud and in front of people, this is my church, these are my people. Membership class is October 1st for all those who are interested in formally declaring that this is their place. All that to say we work hard at being a community of of faith, a people, not an aggregation of individuals or a collection of persons, but a people. That's how God has always worked. And I will say it's hard work. This is a lot of work. Your church staff works hard at this. And the reason it's harder today than it used to be is because our current culture is isolating. Our current culture encourages division. Our culture encourages othering others. So we're swimming against the cultural current. And for that reason, since this is contrary to culture, it would be a lot easier if church was simply a collection of or aggregation of persons who really had no connection with each other outside of seeing each other in that worship space. That would be easier and safer in the short run anyway, but more costly in the long run because you end up so alone. It would be easier if church was not not a community, just a crowd of persons we barely knew. That would be so much easier than creating a community of faith for lots of reasons, but we'll start here. Because then you never have to worry about or even pay attention to what we read in the gospel today. I don't know if you noticed, but both the gospel and the epistle, and we're not going to talk about the epistle, but both the gospel and the epistle presume that God's people would be a part of a community of faith and not simply an aggregation of persons attending a worship service. Now, attending a worship service is not nothing. It's a big deal. But both scriptures today presume that God's people would be a people, not simply persons in a crowd. So what did Jesus say in the gospel? After talking about the humility that should characterize the follower of Jesus Christ, therefore whoever then humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, said Jesus. After talking about the humility that should characterize the follower of the one who humbled himself so Absolutely. Jesus told us not to cause anyone else to lose their faith. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to be as God-forsaken as you could possibly be. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. The depths of the anarchic sea, the depths of the chaotic sea, was as far from God as you could possibly be. So Jesus told us not to cause anyone else to lose their faith, and he told us that in no uncertain terms. Well, the only way you can make anyone else stumble so far as to lose their faith is if they know you well enough for that to happen. 
I mean, if we're not in relationship with others such that they can see our lives to see if we are living authentically, then there's a whole lot less chance we're going to cause anybody to stumble. Causing someone else to stumble presumes a relationship. And this pretty clear instruction about causing others to stumble presumes a community of faith. And, you know, that's scary. That is a lot of responsibility. Living in such a way that others can look at your life and emulate it? And if for some reason you don't live that way, they could lose their faith as a consequence? Who wants that responsibility? But if you're... If you're not a part of a community of faith such that others can see your life, then you don't really have to pay attention to that instruction at all. If people don't know you, not much chance of them stumbling because of you. Oh, but if they know you, then they can. That's a lot of work. So there's that. But that's not all Jesus said. Then Jesus said, after that, as if it wasn't enough to think about, we could go home with that one. Then he said, we're supposed to go after the ones who wander off. They were supposed to be so paying attention to who is no longer a part of the community of faith that when we miss them, we go after them. If a man owns 100 sheep and one of them wanders off, will he leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? Well, who does that? So if we're a part of a community of faith, we are responsible for others' faith? To the degree that we pay attention to who's no longer a part of the community of faith? Who wants that? That's a lot of responsibility. So guess what? If you're not a part of a community of faith, then this instruction doesn't apply either. You don't have to worry about the one. If you're not a part of a people, then this instruction from Jesus is irrelevant. If you're not a part of the 99, you're never going to notice the one that wanders off. So these instructions only make sense to those who are part of a community. And I'm telling you, it's hard work keeping track of and going after the ones who wander off. So there's some incentive for never becoming a part of a community of faith, right? Who wants this much responsibility? And if we're not part of the community, then we don't have to worry about causing anyone else to stumble because they won't know us. And if we're not a part of a community of faith, then we don't have to worry about those who are no longer with us because we won't know them. So the only ones that really need to pay attention to what Jesus said in Matthew 18 are those who are a part of a community. And if we're not, then we can ignore what Jesus said here. But that's not all Jesus said in Matthew 18. And this is where it really gets hard. He gave instruction about how to reconcile with those who sin against us. I mean, as if causing someone else not to stumble wasn't hard enough, and as if going after those who wander off wasn't enough, this is what else Jesus said. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won your brother or sister over. If they not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. Yeah, that's really scary. And I want us to understand something here with this text. I need you to listen up here. This is not a formula for reconciliation to be indiscriminately applied in every situation. Jesus was not providing a legalistic prescription for every wrong done against someone in the church. And that kind of wooden, thoughtless, 
application of this text can be the source of great harm. I'll explain what, what I mean when I say that. There are some sins in which going to the person who sinned against you would be the worst thing you could possibly do. Think of some of the ways people are victimized. So expecting them to go by themselves to the perpetrator would just open themselves up to further abuse. And I have seen it happen. This is not a legalistic formula to be thoughtlessly applied. And it is the case that treating this text as, it were, as, if, as if it were, as some have done, can be a way of victimizing victims again. So let's be careful with this text. This text can be used as a further abuse of power. And a good reason people might want, not want to be a part of a community of faith. This is not a formula to be indiscriminately applied in every sinful situation. You know, the Lord expects from us wisdom every now and then. And truth doesn't trump kindness. But what we can say without exception is this. What Jesus does expect is for God's people to be reconciled to one another. Peace be with you. Let's do it again. Peace be with you. This is the witness. What does Jesus expect? What Jesus expects is for his followers to forgive others as he forgave us. That's what he expects. Do you know what instruction immediately followed this kind of description of how we're to reconcile? We didn't read it. We're going to read it now. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? This is a great question that follows up that previous text. Up to seven times? That's a lot. Forgive me somebody seven times? I mean, once is hard. Seven? And Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, 77 times, meaning no end. So, so the point of all in Matthew 18 is reconciliation, not excommunication. We don't cancel. Christians don't cancel. That's another way we're different from the culture. The key to recon- and, and, and hear me now, this is, the key to reconciliation is not perfect justice or penance or restitution or compensation on the part of the one who sins. The key to reconciliation, I'm not saying those can't be helpful, but the key to reconciliation is forgiveness. Yeah. Romans 5, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't warrant it. We didn't earn it. He died for us before, he, before, before we even knew him. In 2 Corinthians 5, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't regard anyone like the world does. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. We're living in a different world, Christians. The new creation has come in with us. 
The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who's doing the reconciling here? God is doing the reconciling here. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Where would we be if he counted our sins against us? Oh, I wish we wouldn't keep track. I wish. We're not supposed to keep track. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are ministers of reconciliation, not ministers of excommunication. And here's what else is true. And if we're not, if we don't do our part, then we're not reconciled to God. Because this is what the Lord also said. You hold a grudge, the Lord will hold a grudge too. Only it'll be against you. Here's what's true. The prayer for our forgiveness from our Lord is this. Forgive us as we forgive others. In the prayer he taught us to pray every day, he said, forgive us as we forgive others. And just in case the disciples missed it, three verses later, Jesus said, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive yours. So forgiving others is not just an event, folks. It's a way of being. We are forgiving. Not counting, not counting other sins against them. What, what, a, what a message and guess what? If you're not in community, you never have to do that either. If you never get close to anyone, you'll never have to forgive. I can't sing this one. Uh, sometimes, every, like every five years, I sing from the pulpit. I'm not going to try. But the safety of being alone was sung by Simon and Garfunkel in 1964. And I know that that is like 60 years ago. But they keep playing these songs on the radio, so most of us probably know it. A winter's day in a deep and dark December. I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love. I've heard that word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, Safe within my womb, I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. Go rock. Go island. But if you're part of a community of faith, 
if there's a commitment to others that is required in order to be a genuine part of that community, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to forgive. If you're part of a community of faith, you're going to have to forgive. Because every now and then, there's going to be misunderstandings, and there's going to be some disagreements, maybe some arguments, maybe some offenses. You're going to be sinned against if you're part of a community of faith, because it's just what happens when you're part of a community. I'm not, a, I'm not making an allowance for it. I'm just acknowledging the reality. And there's a good chance you'll sin against others. The only reason I can stay pastor of any church for any length of time is because of the grace of God's people. I am fully aware of that. You're going to be sinned against, and there's a good chance you'll sin against others, which means you'll have to forgive, and you'll have to be forgiven if you're part of a community of faith. And frankly, that's a lot of work. You know what's easier? Easier? You know what's easier? Never becoming a part of a community of faith. You know what's easier? Sitting in judgment from the outside. You know what's easier? Thinking that Christianity is a purely private affair. But living in such community with others that you can, they can see you and know you well enough to know if you're real, living in such community with others well enough to know if someone has wandered away, and living in community with others that they can hurt you and you can hurt them requiring reconciliation and forgiveness which Jesus seemed to think just might be a regular occurrence that's hard but this instruction in Matthew 18 presumes that those to whom Jesus is talking are part of a community those who aren't can ignore those words the entire chapter of Matthew 18 is absolutely irrelevant to those who think it's just Jesus and me And the truth is, as is most of the rest of this Bible who thinks it's just Jesus and me. Uh, Paul's letters are all about how to get along in the church. But for those who know that the call to Christ is also a call to the church, is a call to be part of a community of faith, then every verse of this chapter applies. And that's hard work. It's hard calling people to be a part of the community of faith. And it's, I don't know that's a message everyone wants to hear. But here's what's true. And I think I've said everything I've said so far to say this. It is in the reconciling community that people discover the reconciling God. It is in the reconciling community that people discover the reconciling God. If you can forgive me, then maybe God can too. And it is in a community that models love for each other and forgiveness for each other that people discover the love and forgiveness of God. It is in the reconciling community the community at peace with each other that reveals the reconciling God. And you know what else? Do you know what else Jesus promised? That he'd be there. He'd be there in that reconciling community of faith 
For where two or three are gathered, where two or three are assembled in my name, there I am with them. Folks, so why be a part of a community of faith? It sounds like it's pretty costly. Here's the reason, because that's where Jesus is. Because that's where you will find our Lord, among his people. So why be a part of a community of faith? Because that's where Jesus is. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.